Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. We're going to discuss the case of leg pain in a 55-year-old male. A 55-year-old male with a history of type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia presents to his physician with a complaint of calf pain, left worse than right. He states the pain is worse when he walks, and stops a few minutes after he stops walking. He can walk approximately one block before the pain causes him to stop. The pain has been present for two years, and has appeared at progressively shorter distances over that time. He is hindered in his job as a mail carrier due to the pain. Currently, he smokes one pack of cigarettes per day, although he previously smoked two packs per day. So what's the differential diagnosis for leg pain? Leg pain can be caused by many etiologies. The most common cause for this history of intermittent pain is due to peripheral arterial disease, or PAD, but there are musculoskeletal, rheumatologic, neurogenic, and other etiologies as well. Of special consideration is the length of time the leg pain has been occurring, because it can help inform the differential diagnosis. Specifically, the acute onset of pain can point to acute arterial insufficiency, which, whether embolic or thrombotic in nature, may constitute a surgical emergency. The classic presentation of claudication is pain that starts with a predictable distance of ambulation and stops at rest. However, many patients with PAD present with atypical symptoms rather than textbook claudication. Patients with severe PAD may present with rest pain and may also describe dangling their foot over the side of the bed at night to relieve the pain. Those who develop a diabetic wound in the setting of PAD may not experience pain at all due to advanced diabetic neuropathy, and they may complain only of a wound that has been slow to heal or is progressively worsening. Who is at risk for PAD, and how is the severity graded? Peripheral vascular disease is the lack of sufficient blood flow due to atherosclerotic plaque causing either stenosis or occlusion of peripheral vessels. Risk factors for PAD include atherosclerosis, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and a history of smoking. The severity ranges from asymptomatic, or patients who have only evidence of PAD on imaging but have no symptoms, to patients with critical limb ischemia, defined as rest pain, tissue loss, or gangrene. The Rutherford system is the most commonly used system for grading the severity of PAD and includes both clinical and objective criteria, such as treadmill exercise test. What are the expected physical exam findings in peripheral vascular disease? As with many disease processes, vascular disease has a spectrum of physical findings which reflects disease severity. Patients who are claudicants, for example, may have a diminished or absent peripheral pulse and an otherwise normal extremity examination. Patients who have more severe vascular disease, on the other hand, are likely to have dependent rubor or redness, loss of hair on the shins, and slow to heal or non-healing wounds in addition to diminished or absent peripheral pulses. For our patient, his vital signs are within normal limits. His heart has a regular rate and rhythm and his lungs are clear to auscultation bilaterally. 
His abdomen is soft, non-tender, and non-distended. His peripheral reflexes and tone are normal bilaterally. He has no pain on palpation of his knees, ankles, or calves, and he has no peripheral edema or knee effusions. He has palpable femoral pulses, but popliteal, dorsalis pedis, and posterior tibial pulses are absent bilaterally. There are no wounds on his feet. What studies are useful in the diagnosis of PAD? Several studies may help distinguish and establish the presence and extent of PAD. Ankle brachial indices, or ABIs, and pulse volume recordings, or PVRs, are non-invasive vascular laboratory tests that can help establish the presence of vascular disease without the risk of radiation or an invasive procedure. These are often the first-line tests to determine the presence of PAD. In these tests, blood pressure cuffs are placed at several locations on the lower extremities. The blood pressure at each location is recorded, as well as the pressure at both brachial arteries. The ratio of the highest blood pressure, dorsalis pedis or posterior tibial, to the highest brachial pressure is defined as the ankle brachial index. An ABI of 0.9 to 1.4 is considered normal. An ABI of 0.4 to 0.9 is associated with claudication, and an ABI of less than 0.4 is associated with critical limb ischemia. The ABI cutoffs are not absolute, and a patient with a low ABI may not have symptoms. A high ABI greater than 1.4 suggests the presence of non-compressible vessels, which can often be seen in diabetic patients. Pulse volume recording examinations looks at the waveform across the cardiac cycle in peripheral vasculature. As stenoses develop and become more severe, the normal waveform becomes dampened. This can also be seen when listening to pulses with a handheld Doppler. A normal Doppler signal has a crisp triphasic sound. This sound transitions to biphasic, then to monophasic as the degree of proximal stenosis increases. Computed tomography angiograms, or CTAs, and magnetic resonance angiograms, or MRAs, provide a non-invasive method to more accurately assess vascular disease. These studies can be useful to evaluate for other pathology in addition to assessing the burden of vascular disease. However, unlike true angiogram, CTA and MRA do not allow the opportunity to intervene simultaneously. An angiogram is the traditional gold standard test to assess the degree of PAD and is often performed in conjunction with angioplasty or stenting, two modalities frequently used to treat atherosclerotic disease that has caused stenoses. Note that angiography is invasive and carries the risk both of radiation and potential nephrotoxicity of contrast dye. Once diagnosed, what are the treatment options for patients with peripheral vascular disease? In patients who have claudication that is not lifestyle limiting as the only manifestation of their peripheral vascular disease, the primary treatment is medical management and walking. Patients are counseled to walk as far as they can until they start to experience leg pain and then keep going if they are able. Patients who are on a walking program can experience significant improvements in their symptoms over time. The other critical portion of the treatment of such patients is risk reduction. PAD is a marker of advanced atherosclerotic disease and therefore a risk factor equivalent 
for coronary artery disease. Thus, all patients with PAD should be counseled about coronary artery disease, have their comorbidities such as diabetes and hypertension adequately managed, and should all be placed on a statin. Patients with PAD and diabetes should be educated about protecting their feet, as they are particularly at risk for the development of non-healing ulcers. What interventions are performed for patients with peripheral arterial disease? Patients who have lifestyle-limiting claudication or critical limb ischemia warrant an intervention. Interventions for PAD may be endovascular or open surgical procedures. Though the use of endovascular therapies continues to evolve, a consensus has been reached among several societies about which anatomic lesions should be treated with endovascular methods versus open surgery. This is called the task classification. Endovascular interventions involve balloon angioplasty, or dilation of the lesion using an endovascular balloon, stenting, and atherectomy, or endovascular removal of the atherosclerotic plaque. These are accomplished through percutaneous access at the groin, or occasionally the brachial artery. After stenting or atherectomy, patients are frequently placed on dual antiplatelet therapy, consisting of both aspirin and Plavix, in order to preserve the patency of interventions. Some lesions are not amenable to endovascular therapy and are best treated by open interventions. Isolated common femoral disease can be treated by a common femoral endarterectomy, in which occlusive plaque is removed from the common femoral artery. Occlusions in the distal leg can be treated with open surgical bypass. The proximal and distal targets of the bypass depend upon the location of the obstructing lesion. Our patient undergoes a diagnostic angiogram of his left leg and is found to have a total occlusion of his superficial femoral artery, or SFA, for almost its entire length. His circulation reconstitute at his popliteal artery above the knee via collateral vessels, and he has intact three-vessel runoff, that is dorsalis pedis, posterior tibial, and peroneal arteries. The lesion is not amenable to endovascular repair, and the physician recommends a bypass procedure. What types of peripheral bypass are possible? Peripheral bypasses are planned based on the location of the lesion. Many bypasses start at the common femoral artery. The locations for the distal anastomoses for peripheral bypasses vary, but can utilize the popliteal artery above the knee, the popliteal artery below the knee, the posterior tibial artery, the anterior tibial artery, or the peroneal artery. Though uncommon, bypasses can also be performed that reach to the dorsalis pedis artery or posterior tibial artery in the foot. What are the considerations in planning the bypass? There are three considerations, inflow, outflow, and the type of conduit. Inflow refers to the quality of flow proximal to the intended bypass. Outflow refers to the capacity of the vessels of the distal anastomosis to receive improved inflow. And the type of conduit refers to what the bypass itself is made of. Large studies show that a patient's own vein is the best conduit for a bypass in terms of long-term patency. The vein that is used in bypass for PAD is most commonly the greater saphenous vein, although other veins, including the small saphenous vein, basilic, and cephalic, may also be used. In the absence of suitable vein, prosthetic conduit made of polyethylene tetrathalate or polytetrafluoroethylene, PTFE, can be used. 
What are the potential complications of lower extremity bypass for peripheral artery disease? Pulses in the bypass and distal to it must be checked frequently in the immediate postoperative period to monitor for graft thrombosis. Graft thrombosis that occurs within the first 24 hours after surgery is thought to be due to a technical problem and warrants immediate return to the operating room. Thrombosis that presents later can be diagnosed with progression of disease proximal or distal to the bypass or with intimal hyperplasia leading to stenosis within the bypass. As with any surgery involving heparinization, bleeding is a potential complication after bypass, and incisions over anastomoses should be monitored for hematoma development. Wound infection can also occur and is of special concern due to the possibility of synthetic graft infection necessitating graft removal. Injury to the vessels, either from a clamp injury or due to anastomotic technique, is also possible. If the bypass is performed with in situ vein, a retained valve can limit patency. Our patient undergoes a left femoral to above knee popliteal artery bypass. Distal arterial pulse signals are obtained by Doppler signal postoperatively. The patient is referred for physical therapy and is discharged home on the third day postoperatively. He returns to work two weeks later and has no pain with ambulating on his mail route. Several pearls when thinking about peripheral artery disease. Peripheral artery disease can be asymptomatic or can present with claudication, breast pain, tissue loss, or gangrene. Patients with PAD often have concurrent coronary artery disease. Interventions for PAD are indicated for lifestyle-limiting claudication, rest pain, tissue loss, or gangrene. A variety of endovascular interventions can be performed for peripheral vascular disease. Some anatomic distributions of disease are better served by open bypass. Vein is always the preferred conduit for lower extremity bypass. Synthetic graft materials are appropriate when a patient's native vein is deemed unsuitable. After a procedure for PAD, patients are surveilled for their lifetime for progression of their disease and the durability of the intervention. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.